Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., just outside my office, I join with the other elders and we get on our knees and we pray for you. Pray for our church family, we pray for the community. One of the things I started doing a few months ago is I'd get on social media early Tuesday morning, like 5, 5.30 when I first wake up, and I would post a, um, a question. I'd say, hey, how can we as elders pray for you this morning? And the responses back are direct messages, like nobody else can read them, I read them. And of the thousands of responses that I have received over the months for prayer requests, it strikes me how significant it is that a large percentage of them are directly connected to marriage in a way that surprised me, all kinds of them. Please pray that God would save our marriage. Teenager says, please pray that my parents would stop fighting, that they wouldn't get divorced. My wife's moved out, please pray that she'll give us another chance. My husband won't come to church with us. Would you pray that he would come to church with us? Just one prayer request after another. What strikes me though isn't just the percentage, it's the profile picture that the request is next to. That probably doesn't surprise you, but oftentimes those very desperate requests for help are next to a profile picture of a couple, cheek to cheek, all smiles, looks like everything is good, but they're really struggling. And if you've been married for very long, the chances are you know that dynamic. You know what that's like where you're trying to figure things out and you're just not sure if you know what you're doing and you're going through a season where it's especially challenging and yet a lot of people don't know it. And I'm just convinced that within our church and within our community and in our country, we're in a season where there are a lot of people who are struggling in their marriage and they really need help and they're not sure how to talk about it or where to turn or what to do. And so for the next number of weeks, we're talking about marriage because I think there are a lot of people who are hurting. If you look at the search results of what people search for online that leads them to our website or leads them to a sermon on our website, and you look at the top 10 Searches, eight out of the top 10 searches are somehow related to marriage. How can God save my marriage? My marriage is in trouble. How can I, how can I be reconciled to my spouse? Just one after another. And so we wanna talk about this because I think it's an, an area of hurt right now. I've told a story before about taking my son to Colorado and he was skiing first day, broke his clavicle. What I haven't told you is what happened after that. The ski patrol comes, they cut his shirt off, it's freezing out, so he's bare chested and cold, got a broken bone. They ski him down to the bottom of the mountain where there's this um, ER type of space. We're waiting for some help. He's in pain and he's cold. Just, just give the boy some pain medicine and, and a blanket would be great but we're, we're waiting. They gotta figure out how insurance works and how much we're gonna pay versus how much insurance is gonna pay. And, and then the nurse finally comes in to talk to us and the nurse begins with a little bit of a lecture. I think that's what I'd call it, making both of us feel bad for the fact that he's in pain. Like if you would just ski within your limits and here's the safety instructions that you should have received and you know the conditions out there right now are pretty difficult, a lot of ice on the, on the mountain during this time of the year. And I'm like, okay, can we just get some pain medicine? Is that, can we start with that in a blanket and then we'll listen to the little lecture? But he's in a lot of pain right now. Doctor comes in, 
pretty chatty for a doctor, wants to talk to us about clavicle. Like uh, explains to us, the clavicle comes from a Latin word that means uh, little key. All right, could you just get him some medicine? Could we, could we do that? It's also called the beauty bone. I don't, I don't care. I, I don't care. He's cold and he's hurting. Could we do something about that? I, I'm not that interested in the etymology of clavicle. And I think that's what some people experience when they come to church. Like they've got this pain and that they're, they're dealing with. And they've tried a lot of other things. And they didn't really wanna try church, but after trying a lot of other things, they decided to come to church and then they sometimes sit through a lecture that makes them feel bad about the pain that they're in, but offers very little hope about what to do next. What they need is some medicine and a blanket. They need, they need some hope from Jesus, but what they get is some guilt and some shame and they end up walking out in more pain and a little bit colder than they were when they walked in. Or, or, or they come in and they listen and they're like, okay, so the, the etymology is interesting. A word study, that's fascinating. But I just need some help with my marriage right now and I'm just convinced that there are a lot of people in our church and in our community, community that that's where they're at. Like they're struggling and they need some help. They're not sure what to do. But they just need somebody to give them some pain medicine and a blanket. And so this series, in part, is about that that there are a lot of couples that are struggling and, and Jesus, Jesus loves you and he cares about you and he wants this to be a place where you can come and, and you can get help, where you can know you're not alone. And, and so that's part of the reason for this series. But another reason we're doing a four-week series here, and this is important, is that marriage is unique in that it was meant to be, designed by God to be a covenant that could be pointed to as a illustration, as a picture of what God wants to have with his people. Like marriage was meant by God to be a covenant that showed the world the kind of covenantal love that he has for his people. And so you see this throughout scripture. Hosea chapter two is a good example of how this picture, this metaphor gets used where God says, I want to make you my spouse forever, showing you righteousness and justice and unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine and you will finally know me as the Lord. And so God's pointing to marriage as a picture of the kind of relationship, the kind of grace that he has for us, the kind of unconditional committed love that he has for his people. And we see this even in Revelation. At the end of Revelation, we are united with other believers, with Jesus, and we sit down for a great feast. And that feast is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. That picture is consistent throughout scripture. When Paul in Ephesians is talking about the union and the intimacy of marriage, he says, look, I'm not just talking about marriage here. Well, it feels like you are. It feels like that's all you're talking about. No, no, no. I, I am talking about marriage, but it's not just about marriage. I'm also talking about a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about Jesus and, and you. And I want you to hear that in these next few weeks. I, we're talking about marriage and God's plan for marriage, but we're not just talking about marriage. We're talking about Jesus and you. We're talking about Jesus and the church. And so this is one of the reasons why God in Malachi says, I hate divorce. Now listen, he does not say, I hate people who've been divorced. He does not say that. 
And if the church has made you think that he says that over the years, maybe your church tradition or background, I want you to know that is not true. God loves you. You are not just wanted here. You are welcomed here, open-armed. We're so glad that you're here. But God hates divorce for the, science, for the same reason my buddy whose daughter was diagnosed with cancer hates cancer. He hates divorce. God hates divorce because he loves you. But it's not just that. God also hates divorce because it, it is contrary to the covenant that he wanted when he created marriage. Like he wants to be able to point to marriage within the church and say, this is, this is, this is what I had in mind. Not, not just for husbands and wives within the church, not just for husbands and wives who are followers of Christ, but this is what I had in mind for you and me. That the world would be able to look at marriages within the church and not just understand, here's how it works best because God designed it and created it, but they could look with marriages in the church and say, oh, that's how God loves me? God loves me with that kind of grace? God loves me with that kind of affection. God loves me with that kind of forgiveness. God loves me with that kind of joy and unselfishness. And so for that reason, we spend a little extra time on it, not just because we wanna have healthy, happy marriages, but because it's a picture of what God has in mind for us and him. Last week we saw in Matthew 19 when, when Jesus is asked questions that are meant to trap him, meant to cancel him. He's asked questions about men and women and marriage and divorce. And, and what Jesus does is he points back to God's original design in Genesis. We saw this last week. To understand this, you have to understand that the first century was every bit as immoral and as depraved as our culture in parts of the world even more so. But the way Jesus responded to that brokenness in that culture, to the confusion in that culture, the way he responded to it was not necessarily to get caught up in all their drama, but to point them consistently back and say, look, look haven't you read this? Haven't you read that from the beginning, this is what God wanted for men and women for marriage. Like this is the way he designed it. This is the way it's supposed to be. And he just consistently points people back to the beginning. Here's God's, here's God's plan. And so in, in a world where there's a lot of brokenness and confusion, in a world where we're not always sure how to respond, when there's so much talk about relationships and sexuality, and, and especially in a month like this, we're just like, well, what's the right response? The question is, what is the Jesus response? And here's what you see in the gospels, that Jesus responded first with compassion and clarity. Compassion and clarity, Matthew 19, have you not read from the beginning, God made them male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's compassionate and he's clear. And then when children are involved, Jesus responds with protection and warning. Luke chapter 17, verse two, Jesus says, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea and a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And so you see Jesus compassionate and clear. You see Jesus protective and warning when children get involved. And so the question for us is what's the Jesus response? And I would just say, ultimately, there's no better response than a church where people who are having a hard time in marriage can come and find hope and healing. No better response than healthy, happy families. And so I, I know, look, I know that a lot of you are single and you're like, okay, so four weeks on marriage and my 
So I did, do I get a pass for it? Like, I, I hope you'll see it differently for a few reasons. One, that what we talk about in this series applies largely to every relationship. Like we're taking princip- relational principles in scripture and we're applying it to marriage, but you can apply it to pretty much any relationship. That, that, the exception of that would be week three when we're talking through sexuality. But the truth is that all of us, married, single, like all of us are so indoctrinated with different world, world's perspective on sexuality that we all need to be reminded, okay, this was God's plan. This is what God, God had in mind. And besides all of that, I, I hope you know, if you're single, that it'll be a time for you to think about these things. Like, if you want to be married before you get married. <laughs> like, it, like you, it would be hard to get married couples to agree on, like 100 married couples to agree on anything. But I would say that 100% of married couples would agree with this statement, the best time to work on your marriage is before you get married. Like, that's the best time. Like you don't want to open up the driver's manual when you're behind the wheel. Like you know, like when you're driving down the road, it's not the time to break that out and see how it's supposed to, to work. Like you want to do that before you start driving. And so I, I hope it'll be helpful for those reasons. The title of the series is The Generous Marriage. And the more I've studied the love of God, the more I think it's, um, it's so clear what makes his love distinctive is that he's so generous, y'all. He is so generous. And if our love for one another in marriage is meant to be a reflection of God's love for us, then at the foundation should be generosity. Generous marriage. We see this in the most well-known Bible verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Or the NLT puts it this way. For this is how God loved the world. He gave He demonstrated his love through sacrificial generosity. So when we love one another that way, we are modeling the kind of love that God has for us. This radical generosity. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10 that when Jesus came, he said of himself, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give. Give his life sacrificially as a ransom for many so that when we love one another that way as husband and wife, we are reflecting the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so we wanna put that into practice. Somebody put it this way. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I think that's really helpful. And that's what God demonstrates for us. Now, when we talk about generosity, typically we talk in terms of money. The reason for that is it is the primary application of generosity in scripture. So when I speak of being generous, the natural tendency is to think in terms of money. And yet what I would tell you is that being generous, just one application of it is finance, right? Like a generous life is demonstrated in many more ways than just what you do with your money. And so what I wanna do is is look at marriage, look at some of the promises and the wisdom of generosity through this this lens of, of marriage. Let me give you an example of this. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like one, one person is generous, but has more to show for. Another person withholds unduly. They're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be generous because I don't wanna lose what I have, but they come to poverty. A generous person will prosper and the one who refreshes others will be refreshed. So this is general wisdom literature here where God says, this is the way it generally works. If, if you are going to give generously, you'll experience a mystery that's a little hard to explain and 
but in your generosity, you end up receiving more than you gave. I can tell you, as a, personally and as a pastor, that sounds weird, but I've seen it enough that I'm like, yeah, no, I believe that. Like, I know that that's true. And I would just say that that applies to more than just being generous with your money. It applies to how you are with your spouse. A few years ago, there was a study done by the University of Virginia, and they were trying to identify the different factors that make a couple very happy. They had a number of categories that they tested hundreds of couples in, and and they were surprised to find that the, the most significant category that determined a very happy marriage was what they called their generosity scale. That the higher a couple ranked on the generosity scale, the more likely they were to be very happy in their marriage. And they're generous with one another. You've seen studies like this before where things like, um, you know, the equation of five positive interactions for every one negative one makes for a very happy marriage. But that's just, that's just a generosity equation, five for every one. And, and so they discovered that this generosity is a much more significant factor than perhaps has been understood. Here's how they defined a generosity in the study. The virtue of giving good things to your spouse freely and abundantly. And, and don't, when you see things, don't just think in terms of like, um, you know, objects for purchase. Like it's attention, affection, time. The, the, the virtue of giving good things, encouragement, service to your spouse freely and abundantly. And when I read this, I thought, well, that's a decent definition biblically. Take the word freely here as an example. The Bible helps us understand that generosity is is giving without an expectation of getting something in return. And so we could define it this way, a generous marriage gives without expectation. And so this is hard for us. <laughs> like we are discipled culturally to think of our relationships in a transactional way. I do for you, you do for me. If you're not doing for me, you start doing for me, then I'll think about doing for you. If, if you're not doing for me, you make a down payment of doing, and then I'll think about doing something for you. Like, I, you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. If you're not gonna meet my needs, why would I meet your needs? Like, we're just disciples to think of relationships. What, what's in it for me? And that is opposite of the heart that God has for, for marriage. That kind of selfishness is a violation to the oneness and intimacy that's described for us in scripture. And, and so... When we love in this generous way that's free, free without expectation, what we're doing is we're showing the world this is how God loves us. Romans chapter five, verse eight, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, that God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent Jesus, he gave Jesus while we were still sinners. The message paraphrases it. God sent Jesus when we didn't have anything to offer him in return. That's when he demonstrated his generosity to us. And so when we do that in marriage, we're showing the world, this is how God loves. This is how God gives. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says that when we give, we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. And here's why. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who gives with a smile on their face. Like that's the way he gives. That's the way he wants us to give. Not because there's this compulsion or this obligation. We give freely, we give cheerfully. And we'll talk more about this in a few weeks, but I'll just say that for, for some of you, you're making it nearly impossible for your spouse to give freely because you're being demanding and entitled. 
And when you're demanding and entitled, you're robbing them of the opportunity to give free. There's no opportunity for generosity if you're in a relationship where it's constant demands and entitlement. You can't be loved that way and they can't love that way. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But the virtue of giving good things to your spouse freely. And then the other word here is abundantly. Giving more than what's expected, more than what would be anticipated. Giving beyond expectations is the idea here. That you're not operating in your marriage from a scarcity position where you're like, I don't really have, I don't really have much and I gotta, I gotta budget my affection. I gotta budget my attention. I gotta budget those things. Otherwise, I'm gonna run out. Like, no, it's just this mentality of generous. And if, as long, I keep giving, and then if I'm looking for God to fill me, I'll, I'll receive what I need from him. Like if you're deciding what you're gonna give based on what you're receiving from your spouse, then yeah, you, you, that account could run empty pretty quickly. But if you're deciding what you give to your spouse based on what you're receiving from God, then you discover there's, you have opportunity. There's, there's space there. Um, here's a way that I like to think of this. Imagine going to, you don't have to imagine, we've all done this. You go to a Mexican restaurant, they have great chips and salsa, but they're out of order with when they bring it out. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant where they bring out the chips and salsa and then the water? And there's something unique about that kind of um, uh, cruelty. Like they, you eat the chips and salsa and you want water at the same time. And so when I see chips and salsa, but no water, I try to hold off on the chips and salsa until the water comes, but that's, that's hard to do too. I, I think that the staff does this to entertain themselves. Like this, watch this. But sometimes water comes and you drink it quickly because it's spicy and hot and thirsty. And you set it there, you keep eating chips and, salt, and you're waiting for the server to come over and fill up your cup, but it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. You put it over a little closer to the edge, try to draw attention to it. Like I, and, and when the server gets around to it, like when it's convenient for them, I'm sure it's hard. I'm not saying it's an easy job. I, I just know how I feel about it when I'm really thirsty. And, and, and then every once in a while you get a server where like every time you take a drink, they just, they, they fill it up. Like, yeah, 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 like you didn't even know they were there. They startle you with their generosity. They're, the moment you drink, they fill it up, they fill it up, fill it up. I like this picture as a way for us to think about marriage that we notice when our spouse takes a drink, oh, let me fill that up for you. Let me fill that up for you. And, and for some of you, you listen to that and you're like, well, I, hope my, I hope my husband's listening to this. I hope my, I hope my wife's taking notes. Like, no, that misses the whole, that misses the whole point, right? Like, you, it, that's the, that is the, um, that's the approach where you're, you're trading. Like, if they do this for me, then I'll do this for them. Instead, what would happen if, if they, Husband and wife were both committed to this mentality. In, in that study in the University of Virginia, there was this assumption that generosity was expressed best through grand gesture, right? Extravagant gift, extravagant vacation, whatever. But what they found was in the happiest marriages, it wasn't necessarily the grand gesture. It wasn't necessarily not, by the way. So, but it wasn't necessarily the grand gesture. It was the, it was the small, consistent acts of generosity that really determined whether a marriage was a generous marriage. Here's how Bradford Wilcox, um, the director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia puts it. He says, in marriage, we're expected to do our fair share when it comes to housework and childcare and being faithful. But generosity is going above and beyond the ordinary expectations with small acts of service and making an extra effort to be affectionate. 
Living that spirit of generosity in marriage fosters a virtuous cycle that leads to both spouses on average, I mean, like, it may not be true for everyone, but on average, being happier in their marriage. Something about that, that consistent thoughtfulness. We're gonna talk about it the next number of weeks. A friend of mine told me about the time he knew his wife really loved him. He was, he was uh, early in marriage, walking into the kitchen and dinner was on the table. And he saw his wife had two, two liters of Pepsi and one was almost empty, been open for about a week and it was flat and old and stale. Another one that she was just opening, fresh. And she takes the flat Pepsi and she empties it out into one cup, about fills it up. She opens up the other Pepsi, brand new, fresh, crisp Pepsi, pours that into the other glass. My buddy walks in, he's like, I wonder which glass I'm gonna get. Like which, where is she gonna set these glasses? He's kind of keeping track and watching. And, and he notices as she puts the stale glass of Pepsi next to her plate and the fresh glass of Pepsi next to his plate. And he's like, I've never felt so loved, right? <laughs> Why? Because it was this honest moment. It wasn't expected. It wasn't expected. And, and nobody would have known otherwise, but just out of this genuine love, that's what she wanted to do. And so there's something about these small opportunities that, that demonstrate this genuine love and, and affection. And when we do this, we're not just setting ourselves up as Bradford Wilcox talks about for a happier marriage, but we're also showing the world how Jesus loves us. Philippians chapter two, be humble. Think of others better than yourself. When you're pouring your Pepsi, don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others. You must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Like when we do this, we're demonstrating to the world what it looks like to be loved by God. And look, this is uncomfortable. And, and we'll, we're gonna unpack more of this in the next few weeks. So don't get too frustrated with me. Let me give you more context as you come back. But I'm gonna say it, that the more difficult your marriage is right now, the more of an opportunity you have to demonstrate the kind of grace that you've received from God. I really believe that's true. And, and I'm not saying that that's fair. I'm not saying that that's, but this is how you've been loved. Like this is how you've been treated. This is how God's been generous with you. So what would it look like for the next four weeks if you just gave freely and abundantly in your marriage? What if for the next four weeks, it wasn't a transactional approach where you're keeping track that's what I do. I don't mean to do it, but I do it. Like my wife will say something to me, I'll get defensive. And, and what I'll do is she calls it making my list. I'll start making my list. I'd like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this. And what about yesterday? I did this and this. And I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was writing it all down in my head, but I, in my head, I know what I've done. Like in my head, I've kind of kept track of that list. What if we just didn't do that for the next four weeks? We just resisted this transaction. Here's what I do for you. Here's what you, what if we didn't do that? What if we didn't take the scarcity approach where we acted like we were on a very limited budget, but what if we were just generous? Now look, I know some of you hear this and you're like, okay, like this would have been helpful however many years ago, but you're talking to me at a place now where the whole idea is impossible. I don't have anything left in my account. A number of years ago, I preached on financial generosity in, in my uh, sermon and a, and a guy came up to me afterwards out of college, hadn't been out of college long, has his bank account and he's like minus $24 in his bank account. He's like, thanks for the sermon. In other words, like I, I agree with you in theory, I've got nothing left. 
and, and that's where some of you are in your marriage. Like you're like, okay, Kyle, I get what you're trying to do here. Here's my account balance. I'm, I'm in the negative. I got nothing. And what I would just say to you is Philippians chapter four, that God will meet your needs according to riches in Christ Jesus. Don't wait for your spouse to start making deposits. You be in the position of spiritual receiver where you receive from God what you keep looking to for your spouse. And as you receive that from God, you'll have a little to give. You'll have a little to give. And some days it may just be like a smile, but you'd be generous with that smile. Not a sarcastic smile either, like not a, don't, not a sarcastic, like a real smile. And you just give a little bit as you receive a little bit from him each day and see what happens. Can we do this for four weeks? What would it look like is what I'm asking. I, I read a story about this Christian attorney who um, had this woman come to him and, and she wanted to leave her husband, but she wanted him to pay. Like she wanted to hurt him as much as possible. And, and so the attorney said, look, we can do that. We can make his life miserable, but here's what's gonna happen. I've seen this again and again. He's, he's gonna be so miserable. He's glad to see you go. He's happy that the marriage is over. He said, here's, here's what we can really do if you wanna hurt him. We'll drop divorce papers for about six months from now. You spend the next six months just loving on him, encouraging him, complimenting him, meeting his every need. You just For the next six months, you be the wife of his dreams. And then in six months, I'll call you and we'll file these papers and you'll jerk the rug out from under him and he will be devastated. And she's like, okay. I like that, let's do that, let's do that. And so she agreed to try this six months later. Attorney calls, you ready to serve him the papers? She says, oh no, you'll never believe what happened. We have fallen in love again. And I know there's part of you that says that is for some of you, for some of you, it's really simplistic. And if I do that, I'm gonna get walked on. If I do that, here's how, it's just not gonna work. And I would just say, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it for the next four weeks. What would it look like if you were generous with your attention? That means when your spouse starts talking, your phone disappears. That's my wife's suggestion. It means that you listen with your eyes and not just your ears. It means that you prioritize time together and planning some date nights and evening walks now, how can you be more generous with your affection, like hugs and, and kisses and back rubs without expectations of something in return and initiating intimacy, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully, like what would it look like? And how, how can you be more generous with grace? This means you find the best possible explanation for your spouse and you're like, that's what I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with that. It means not being easily offended. It means not bringing up things from the past that you've already forgiven. You're not doing that any more than God does that to you. You're not doing that. It means that you're not critical, but you're encouraging. So can you just, for the next four weeks, think of some ways to do this? Or you surprise them maybe with a favorite drink when they come home. You make a playlist of songs that are special to the two of you. You ask them, you know, what they need to get done before going to bed and you take a couple things off the list. You just text, the, send a text with a sentence that begins with the words, I really appreciate. You just record a prayer and then text it to them for them to listen to when it's convenient for them. You bring a cup of coffee, you pick up their favorite meal, you wake up, the, you wake up with the baby when it's not your turn. 
You unload the dishwasher without like announcing it to the world. You ask more questions about how they're feeling. You send a text that says, I'm just thinking about you today. You ask them, how can I be more generous with you? Hey, that's a good place to start. I was reminded of that a few weeks ago, probably been a month now, I was leading into this series. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was telling him about this sermon series coming up on marriage. And I said, you know, I, I really need you to help me practice this well in my marriage. I, I don't want this to just be something I talk about. I so don't want Desi to listen to a sermon on marriage and roll her eyes, right? Like I, I know she knows that I'm not perfect, but I want her to know that I care and I'm growing in these things. Like I, so I, I want you to help me really learn to be more generous. And he said, well, what could you do to be more generous? And I said, um, I don't know. I, you know what I could do? I guess I, I could just, I could wake up every morning and write her a note. And I like to write, I, wait, I spend mornings journaling. I just take a few minutes, write her a little love note every morning. And he knows me well enough to know, he's like, well, is that what you would like? Or is that what she would like? And the truth is like words of encouragement and affection are not her primary love language. Like I would, I would like that, but I wanna be generous to her. Like if it doesn't make any sense, if, if, if you bought me an extremely expensive fishing pole, it might be very generous to you, but I don't fish. So doesn't, I don't care. And I think sometimes that's how I approach this in my marriage. So I, I was telling my wife about this and, and she said, well, you know what you ought to do? And she said, you ought to, uh, you ought to just ask me. Like, hmm, so just ask you, how can I be more generous? Yeah, you should just ask me. Let, let me think about that, right? Like, okay, how can I be more generous? She said, you know, you could be more generous with how you listen to me. Okay, okay. Maybe just ask. One of the mottos that has really helped me as I've prepared for this series is the simple motto of, if it matters to her, it matters to me. I, I think for plenty of years and many, many examples, there are things that would matter to her, but they don't really matter to me. It's not that she doesn't matter to me, but what she cares about over here doesn't, it's not something I naturally care about. And, but what was being communicated was not, I don't care about that, or that doesn't matter to me, but that you don't matter to me. And, and so this has helped me tremendously just to say, oh, okay, if it matters to you, it matters to me, and it really does. And, and I think this goes both ways, right? Like if you just approach it this way, and say, okay, if it matters to him, it matters to me. If it matters to her, it matters to me. What, what that is, I'm not gonna be that concerned about. If she cares about it, I care about it. If he cares about it, I'm gonna care about it. I think that's a great start down this path of generosity. I'm excited about this series in a way that I'm not typically excited about a marriage series. And the reason is because as a church, we are more prepared to help. Like one of the challenges I've had in the past when I preach a marriage sermon is I feel a little bit like, I, in the sermon, I like take off a, a scab, I open up a wound and then then people leave and they're just bleeding, but it didn't really help them. And, and we're just in a different place. Our care ministry, our care staff, they have worked really hard to help prepare different resources. And no matter where you're at in your marriage that you can grow. Um, 
we're so committed to this that, that they've worked really hard to identify marriage counselors in our community and, and many marriage counselors online where you can, you, can just, you can zoom in from your own home. And a lot of you would say, well, that sounds nice, but I, I, don't, I don't wanna spend the money on that. And maybe you have the money. I could make a compelling case why it's the best investment you could make, but you just have a hard time spending money on it. Or maybe you don't have the money. We just wanna take the money conversation of this off the table. And so the elders have set aside resources where the church will pay uh, 80%, not based on your financial position, just across the board, 80%. If you need more help than that, we'll give you more help than that. But across the board, 80% of the cost for Christian marriage counseling for up to six months. And it's not just for members of our church. Like some of you are here and you're like, well, yeah, I guess if I was a member. No, no, like this is for you. This is for your neighbor who's going through a difficult time and they've never come to church. Like we want this available to anybody anybody who needs it. And so I would love to encourage you to text the word marriage to 733-733 and you'll get a link on there. Just ask a few simple questions. I, I'm not gonna read those names. No, no pastor, none of our leadership pastors are gonna be reading those names. Like you can do this. I, one of the things I saw on Thursday is I think Thursday night after service, we had about 77 people that text marriage to 733-733. And I, I, I don't know who those people are, I can't see that, but I could see how many of them were women compared to how many of them were men. And I'll just tell you, 90 plus percent of them were women. Men, you be the one to do it. You be the one to humble yourself and demonstrate this kind of courage. I promise you, you will not be less attractive to your wife you will be more attractive if you will humble yourself and demonstrate the kind of courage that says, I care enough about my marriage and family that I'm gonna ask for, for help and I'm gonna prioritize this. And so we wanna make that available to you. I also wanna let you know that if you wanna give towards that fund, that will help marriages in our church and our community. Because I know a lot of you have been helped and you wanna help. Um, if you text the word marriage to 733-733, there's also a link on there where you can, can donate. Um, to this fund for our church to help couples who are struggling right now. And so I, I just wanna challenge you not to put this off. Let's do it this week and then for the next four weeks, let's walk in this together. Not just so that you'll be happier in your marriage, but let's do this for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your generosity that you've expressed to us through Jesus. I, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. I thank you, God, that you gave us what we certainly don't deserve and we never could have earned. I, I pray, God, even in these next few minutes, we would be filled up with your generosity so that we have something to give, even if it's just a smile. I pray that you would let us receive from you that kind of love so we can give it. Not just in our marriages, but at our workplaces and our neighborhoods, that we would just be a light that shines bright. And so Jesus, would you let us receive this generosity uh, from you in a way that changes how, not just how we relate to you, but how we relate to everyone around us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.